Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever heard the saying, God works in mysterious ways? It's a saying derived from a hymn written by William Cowper. The lyrics are, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Many people think that this hymn is based on Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where the prophet spoke these words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So is it true that God actually works in mysterious ways? At times we may think so. For there's times and situations in life when we do not understand how God is leading our lives. That's especially true when we undergo trials and hardships or when we face sickness or loss. We may struggle mightily with God's providential leading of our lives. Joseph did when he was sold into slavery and later cast into the pit. Job did when he lost his family, his possessions, and his health. David did when he was persecuted and oppressed by King Saul. Knowing that God is in control of everything that happens in this world can cause us to struggle mightily with how and why God leads our lives as he does. Yeah, beloved, this does not mean that God works in mysterious ways. God's will and his works are not unfathomable to us. The Bible teaches us something different. Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you receive my words, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We believe that God reveals himself in such a way that we can come to truly know him. We believe that the Bible contains all we need for salvation and life. We often struggle to come to terms with the Bible's teaching about the providence of God. God's providence is his almighty power by which he rules and governs over all things by his fatherly hand. It is that nothing can happen to us by chance but that God is ultimately in control of all things. What we find difficult about this teaching is understanding why God allows trouble, hardship, suffering, calamity, sorrow, and distress to happen in the lives of his children. We struggle with how a good, a merciful, a gracious, and loving father allow me to face all the troubles and sorrows I'm confronted with. Our text this morning helps us with this difficult scriptural teaching. 
In it, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. He tells them that God has made him lord and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph also explains why. He tells his brothers that the worldwide famine has only just begun. There were still five more years of famine ahead of them. Joseph does not excuse his brother's sin of selling him into slavery. What they did was evil. Yet God had a purpose in all this. His purpose was to preserve their lives. May this account give us a better understanding of our God and of how he's also at work in our lives. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Joseph reveals to his brothers how God has made him Lord and ruler over all Egypt. We'll see how God accomplishes his purposes despite our sinful acts and how God is utterly gracious in providing life for his people. In the Joseph story, we've seen how Joseph tested his brothers to know what was in their hearts. By putting his silver cup in Benjamin's sack, Joseph recreated the situation of 20 years earlier when his brothers sold him into slavery. Would the brothers sacrifice Benjamin to save their own skins? Had they changed in any way? They had. In Genesis 44, Joseph's brothers acknowledged their guilt in selling Joseph into slavery. They expressed their willingness to all become slaves of the Egyptian ruler. When Joseph says they could all go except for Benjamin, Judah offers his life for his brother so Benjamin could be restored to his father. This leads to Joseph's dramatic revelation of himself. Although he had recognized his brothers, they had not recognized him. Joseph broke down and wept and made himself known to his brothers. This changed everything. Earlier, the brothers thought that they were just dealing with a suspicious Egyptian ruler. But now, here was Joseph, the brother they had sold into slavery. The previous chapters have already shown us how guilty the brothers felt about selling Joseph into slavery. Their guilt made them expect the worst from Joseph. After revealing himself, Joseph asked his brothers, Is my father well? Is everything okay? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. That word dismayed can also be translated dumbfounded. It's a term used of paralyzing fear, sometimes felt by those involved in war. This was Joseph's brother's worst nightmare. The very brother who had begged them not to sell him into slavery now held their lives in his hands. Because of their guilty consciences, they expected the worst, and so they were paralyzed with fear. Joseph invited them to come near. He gives them time to come and see that he truly was who he said he was. 
Seeing their great fear, Joseph said to them, do not be distressed. They don't need to be afraid because Joseph did not intend to do them any evil. His ability to forgive his brothers is perhaps unmatched in the Old Covenant. By their wickedness, they had caused him to spend the best years of his life in servitude and imprisonment. The pain and suffering Joseph underwent was not quickly forgotten, as expressed in the names of his two sons. Yet when God presented Joseph with a golden opportunity to make his brothers pay for their crime, he passed it up. He could have put them in prison and left them there to rot. But instead, he forgave them. How was that possible? How was Joseph able to forgive the evil his brothers did to him when we're often unwilling to forgive those who have sinned against us? Joseph was able to look past the terrible way in which his brothers had sinned against him. He was able to get past his own hurt. The way he was able to do that was by looking to the Lord his God. God had a plan in mind when he gave Joseph those dreams about his brothers bowing down before him. At the time, Joseph had no idea what that plan was. When he was languishing in jail, in the pit, he could not discern God's purpose in allowing him to undergo so much suffering for so long. But now it is as if scales have fallen from his eyes. Joseph understood why it was that God permitted his brothers to sell him as a slave. It was to bring him to Egypt. He understood why it was that God directed him to Potiphar's house. It was because Potiphar was an officer in Pharaoh's army, the captain of his guard. Joseph understood why he was put in jail with other political prisoners. It was so that he could cross paths with the king's chief butler and interpret his dream. All these events took place so that Joseph was put in place as commander-in-chief of all of Egypt, so in Israel's time of need, he could provide for them. Joseph communicates this to his brothers. In verse 5 of our text, he says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. This sounds like a contradiction. You sold me here, and God sent me before you to preserve life. Here we see God's providence at work. The sovereign Lord can use even evil human deeds to accomplish his plan of salvation. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. They are fully responsible for this evil deed. Yet ultimately, God used their wickedness to preserve life. Joseph tells his brothers that there are five more years of famine coming. He makes a point of God's providence more personal for them. 
He says in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, to keep alive for you many survivors. Five more years of famine in Canaan would have wiped out Jacob's family. It would undermine God's covenant promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make them exceedingly fruitful, to make a great nation out of them. It would put at risk God's promise to bless all nations through the Messiah who would be born from Abraham's line. For a third time, Joseph reiterates how God's providential hand is at work. He says in verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is a stronger statement than in verse 5. There Joseph said, You sold me here, God sent me. Now Joseph says, It was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph totally focuses on the sovereign control of God. God sent him to Egypt to keep alive the covenant seed of Abraham. God made him a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. God's purposes have been at work in, with, and under the sinful actions of Joseph's brothers. In verses 5 to 8 of our text, we see a threefold statement of God's purposes. The first two relate to God's concern for Israel. They speak of how he wills and works life for his people. God's purpose is to preserve a remnant on earth, to keep alive many survivors. Despite the terrible famine that had begun, and the fact that without Joseph's intervention, the world would be facing mass starvation, God was looking out for his covenant people ensuring their survival. The third of God's purposes concerns Joseph becoming ruler. This had been part of the Joseph story right from the beginning. When Joseph had dreams of 11 sheaves of grain bowing before his sheaf, and of the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing before him. Joseph had dreamed of being ruler over his entire family. In our text, we see he's become father to Pharaoh, lord of his house, and ruler of all the land of Egypt. Joseph had become ruler over the dominant world empire of the day. How likely was that? It was the work of God. No one could stop it. God made Joseph ruler over the empire to provide life for many people. It's often difficult for us, beloved, to understand God's providence in the lives of his people. We confess that God's providence is his almighty power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds and governs all things. God does not give things up to fortune or chance, but according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them 
that in this world nothing happens without his direction. We often struggle with his teaching. We struggle to reconcile how a good God and a loving Father allowed Joseph and allows us to suffer much because of the sins of others. Beloved, let us not minimize the struggles that Joseph faced. For 20 years, Joseph couldn't see a single scrap of evidence that God was going to work his suffering for good. We've seen the distress of Joseph's soul when he was sold into slavery and begged his brothers to set him free. We've heard Joseph's cries from the pit when he felt abandoned and forsaken, even by God himself. We often don't understand why God allows trouble, hardship, suffering, and distress to happen in our lives. At times, there are very particular and specific sins or hardships that we struggle to overcome. We can't make sense of how our good and gracious God, our merciful and loving Father, could allow me to face that trouble or sorrow in my life. How can we trust a God who allows bad things to happen to his people? Is it possible to put your hope in our Heavenly Father when it feels like he has abandoned and forsaken us? These are difficult questions, especially for those in the midst of the struggle. Our problem, beloved, is that we often walk through life with blinders on. Blinders are coverings put over horses' eyes to prevent them from seeing what's beside or behind them. They're put on so horses do not become distracted or panicked from what's around them when running a race. In the same way, we often have blinders on. We cannot see the big picture in terms of what's happening in our lives. Part of the human condition is that we have a very limited perspective on our own lives. Often we simply don't understand the trials and hardships that we sometimes need to endure in this sinful and broken world. Yeah, beloved, that's no reason to blame God for what's happening or to despair at the manner in which he leads and governs our lives. God has a perfect plan for each of our lives. He uses calamity and distress, hardships and sorrow to accomplish his will. At times, like Joseph, we may come to understand why God led our lives as he did. At other times, like Job, we may never understand God's ways with us on this side of heaven. Yet we need to trust God's providential care over us. We need to rely on his steadfast love and faithfulness 
even when we cannot see it and when we're not experiencing it. For it's often through the sinful acts of people that God accomplishes his purposes. And his purposes are good. They are ultimately for our benefit. We deal with this in our second point. And we'll see how God is utterly gracious in providing life for his people. Thus far in our text, we've seen how Joseph has made himself known to his brothers and have explained to them that their sin of selling him into slavery was part of God's plan to provide life for his people. Now Joseph moves on to the situation at hand. Jacob had delayed in sending his sons back to Egypt because he feared losing his son Benjamin. By now, his household would have been suffering want from the famine. So Joseph, Joseph urgently sends his brothers back to Canaan. He tells his brothers, hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Joseph promises to allow Jacob and his family, their flocks and herds and all they have, to settle in the land of Goshen. He promises, there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all you have do not come to poverty. When Pharaoh heard that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased him and his servants. Pharaoh promised to give Joseph's family the best of the land of Egypt. He said that they would eat of the fat of the land. Pharaoh also commanded that Joseph send wagons from the land of Egypt for his family to ride in on their way back to Egypt. With this, Joseph provided a change of clothes for each of his brothers. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for the journey. We've noted earlier that Joseph prefigures Jesus, the Son of God. As Joseph was sold into slavery, so Jesus came into this world as a servant on our behalf. As Joseph suffered great injustice in being accused and condemned for something he didn't do, so Jesus was unjustly condemned to die on a cross though he had done nothing wrong. In our text, we see that the parallels continue. As God sent Joseph to Egypt to save his family, so God sent Jesus to save his people. John 3, verse 16 makes this point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Beloved, just like God worked providentially through Joseph, so he did the same through Jesus. Peter makes this clear in his sermon delivered on the day of Pentecost. He shows how God used the sinful works of people to accomplish his purposes. Peter accuses the Jewish people saying that they had Jesus crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And he explains 
that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Just like with Joseph's brothers, God used the people of Israel's sin of crucifying the Lord of glory to ultimately provide life for his people. Jesus saves from more than famine. He saves his people from their sins. While Joseph served to spare his family from starvation and death, Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God and from eternal condemnation. Do you know how Jesus accomplished that? By offering his body and shedding his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what we'll remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday. Jesus is the true bread from heaven who gives life to his people. In John 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John 6, 54, he added, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's by embracing Christ in faith that we may share in all the blessings he promises us. Life with God is a good life, a blessed life. Just as Jacob's family would be allowed to live in the best of the land of Egypt and eat the fat of the land, so we as God's people may share in the fullness of life God promises us. Through Christ, we are reconciled with God. We may know that he loves us with a deep and an abiding love. We may know of his promises to abide with us forever. As God's children, we may know that we belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What comfort, what assurance that gives us. Our text makes clear how Joseph also prefigures Christ in providing reconciliation in his family. Joseph wept when he first made himself known to his brothers. He told them not to be distressed or angry with themselves for their sin of selling him into slavery. After telling them to hurry home to get their father and their families and to come and live in Egypt, Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin embraced him and wept as well. Then Joseph kissed all his brothers and he wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Do you see what the biblical author is making clear in these verses? Joseph had the power to throw his brothers in jail to exact revenge for their terrible sins against him. But instead, he forgives them. He shows his forgiveness by not only providing for their needs and the needs of their families. Joseph hugs and kisses his brothers. 
They all cry and tears flow. They talk together. The brothers had repented of their sins, and Joseph forgave them. The result was reconciliation. Once more, there was shalom, peace, wholeness in the family. Now, Joseph knew that this shalom could easily be disrupted. His brothers still needed to go home and tell their father that his son Joseph was alive. That would be difficult for them, for in doing so, their sin of selling Joseph into slavery would become clear. Thus, when Joseph sent his brothers home with wagons and camels and abundant provisions, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. The sins of the past were forgiven. Together, they now needed to look to the future, to the way in which God would provide them with abundant life through Joseph, the former slave, now become ruler. The final verses of our chapter find the brothers back in Canaan with their father Jacob. They tell him, Joseph is alive. He is ruler over all the land of Egypt. At this news, Jacob was stunned. His heart seemed to stop. He could not believe them. After more than 20 years of mourning for Joseph, could he still be alive? It seemed impossible. Yet when the brothers told him all the words Joseph had said to them, when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to bring him to Egypt, Jacob's spirit was revived. Jacob is as moved and passionate in his reception of good news as he was in his grief. When he had seen Joseph's special robe with blood on it and concluded that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal, he had refused to be comforted. Yet now he said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The Hebrew word for enough could also be translated as sufficient or abundant. This old man had hungered all his life for an heir, for none of the other eleven could substitute for Joseph. Now he has his crowning moment, and he confesses abundance. Jacob has not yet seen or touched Joseph, yet he knows his cup runs over. His world is changed in a moment. By God's grace, Jacob's deep sorrow is changed into abundant joy. What happens at the end of our text is a testimony of God's providential care toward all his children. The psalmist captures this beautifully in Psalm 145, the verses 14 to 16, when he says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all 
look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The journey Jacob undertakes is like that of the shepherds in Jesus' day. They said to each other, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Like them, Jacob also goes in haste before he dies. Just as the shepherds witnessed the birth of God's own Son, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, so Jacob witnesses the resurrection of a son he thought was dead. God's hidden work of sending Joseph to Egypt not only assured Jacob of having food for his family in a time of famine, it also brought life and joy to this hopeless father. It brought renewed shalom, wholeness, peace to his family. Sometimes when we face troubles and sorrows in our lives, we may think that God works in mysterious ways. And beloved, it's true that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. But this does not mean that God acts in a capricious manner in our lives. A God does not deal with us in an impulsive or erratic way. He may allow us to suffer because of the sins of others. He may permit hardships and temptations, trials and sorrows. Yet what we need to understand is that in all of this, God is working for our good. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Beloved, the Joseph story reveals to us how God will accomplish his purposes in our lives. It makes clear how God is utterly gracious in providing life for his people. Just as Joseph invited his family to settle in Egypt, so Jesus is preparing a place for us in his father's house. There he will provide us with abundant life. Revelation 7 speaks of the blessings God will bestow on his people in life eternal. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May we learn to trust our gracious God and loving Father also when we undergo trials and sorrows in our lives. Amen. Beloved, let's rise and sing together from Psalm 145, stanzas 1, 3, and 4.